what's up gems what's up gents it's natima sheree queen pen of tgi and the diamond writers here with episode two of season two of the hustle and shot podcast i'm super excited got a really dope guest tonight um i think y'all are going to appreciate a lot of his story and what he has to share um y'all know i'm really big on introducing new perspectives introducing new guests who can offer those alternative perspectives and introduce us to new ways of thinking um, y'all know I hate trends. I hate anything that's pop culture. Um, and I, I really feel like the dialogue and the exchange we're going to have tonight is going to return us to that unique um, and authentic side of our stories that a lot of us have kind of glamorized or even been afraid to share. And so I'm going to bring him out in just a moment, going to give you all a few minutes to get in here, get in here. And so that we can make it worthwhile. Uh, so first off, it is October Breast Cancer Awareness Month and the diamonds are shining in pink all month. I should actually have on pink right now. I don't own a ton of pink. Don't judge me. I'm going to work on that. Um, but if you see that hashtag on any of our posts, please share and support that because we definitely want to get behind all the movements that are celebrating women who have overcome, conquered, defeated, whatever word you want to use, they kick cancer's ass. And so we are standing with them. There is power in pink. And so we're shining in pink all month. Um, definitely check out our page on Instagram at Diamond Writers, on Facebook at The Diamond Writers, on Twitter, underscore Diamond Writers uh, for some of those shiny and pink campaigns. Sorry, I almost forgot the name of it. Um, so anyway, book is coming out. I hope y'all are excited. We are. We are working our asses off to get this book completed for a spring release. So y'all stay tuned. There will be obviously a virtual release. We may do another book tour. We have some really dope events coming up for you guys. So make sure that y'all check back with us. Visit diamondwriter.com for more info. And then last announcement before I bring out my guest, it's open enrollment. So all of my women, all of my gems who are ready to share their stories, who are ready to stand and pin their truth, we have a spot for you. We have the pages you need to tell your story. So make sure that you visit uh, diamondwriters.com, click on contact, and we have a membership application or form there uh, with some information about interest calls that are coming up and some other really dope things that you're going to need to know for next steps. So again, if you're interested, if you know someone interested, if you have a story, if you've never written, we can help. So make sure that you visit the website for that. All right. Got all of that out the way. Get into the good stuff. I want to bring out my guest. This glare from my glasses is getting on my nerves. So if y'all see me doing one of these, I'm not scowling at my guest. I legit can't see today. So uh, um, let me go ahead and get this brother out. Uh, Y'all don't know him yet, but he is going to become family after this conversation. So let me bring him out. Where is my boy, Dr. J? That's what I call him. Dr. J, J. Sean Banks. Hey. What's up, everybody? Appreciate this opportunity being on your platform. Come show some welcome. love. Yes. Welcome to the, to the Hustle and Shine podcast. All our gems and gents are here. They're starting to fall into the room. Um, and so, you know, please start off by telling them a little bit about yourself. Like, don't go too deep because obviously I got questions for the interview. But let us know your hustle. Oh, man, I appreciate it. Oh, man, I got to I got to grind. Uh, I'm an <laughs> educator, I'm a professor, tenure professor. Um, I teach criminal justice. Uh, I got my own consulting uh, business. I do a lot of uh, HR work, but also uh, a lot of my work tends to be around research in the field of criminal justice to help out 
you know, the black community. I, you know, I take I take all the jargon out of the, the lawyer talk and put it in English to help out, you know, our young brothers and young sisters to keep themselves from being in trouble. So, you know, I'm out there always doing dope work. That is dope. And that's actually how we met. Um, I think I followed you. You mm -hmm. had some really dope posts, um, you know, at the height of a lot of unfortunate, you know, deaths and incidents, um, you know, where we've lost black men to police brutality mm -hmm. um, in the hands. Of, well, we, they've been murdered, but let's use the appropriate terms. Um, and I think that's how I started following you. It was just like, damn, this dude got a lot to say. He's really invested um, in the community from that perspective. And you made education a priority. And that's just something we're not seeing. And I want to get into that. I want to talk about how um, our culture in particular, you know, those of us who have chosen not to pursue higher ed, they say, I don't need that piece of paper. I don't need that validation. But it's so much more than that. And I want to talk a little bit more about that. But I first want you to spend some time telling us your story. I've heard your story. Shit is like, is 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 real, y'all. Um and I just applaud you for all that you've been able to do. So acquaint my gems and gems, gems and gents, excuse me, with your story. Tell us from the beginning, the start, all the way up to now being a, a PhD holding tenured professor. Please walk us through that. Oh man. Oh so once upon no. So, <laughs> so that time in band camp, right? <laughs> right. Oh man. So, you know, I, I reign from uh, Chicago, Illinois. Uh Young brother, single mother, seven children. I'm number six of seven. Um, man, you know, growing up and seeing murder, seeing, uh, you know, robbery, seeing just, you know, don't even understand what poverty is. You know, you don't even know you poor when you're when you're a young, young shorty out there just getting dirty and nasty. So, Facts. Uh, yeah. So, you know, growing up with my, you know, just a mother and she was uh, she wasn't the nicest woman in the world. You know what I mean? So. Uh, there was no love, no nurture. It was more like, hey, get your shit together and move. That was probably about it, you know. And, mm -hmm. and if you're having older siblings above you, you know, they're going to tighten you up, you know. So, you know, just growing up in that in the environment, this the environment was very, very uh, not just poverty, it was violent, you know. So mm -hmm. that's something, you know, we never pay attention to, especially as the black community, understanding that we do suffer from <laughs> PTSS. So I'll dive into that later. Uh, so, uh, you know, coming up was pretty rough. And I mean, I could just remember right off the top of my head, you know, one of the most tragic events that never leaves my mind is the uh, seeing my brother get murdered in cold blood. You know, um, I was what, 12 years old. Uh, it wasn't like it happened. And then I just was like, oh, no, we actually like seen this, my brother, like, you know, so wow. uh, that right there, that transition, that piece right there is like that trigger where I was just like, you know what, I can't keep doing this. You know, I can't keep uh, living this type of life. So you know, to be honest, like after that, at the age of 12, my mom pretty much kind of stepped away. She just kind of stepped away. So we was on our own. So that's when the drug game gets into play. That's when, you know, most of us young men or young women fall into that to that that family on the street to take care of you. So mm -hmm. fell into that. that. Yeah. You get involved with the, the street games. That's what happens. That's the next thing. I mean, think I hope we all understand that. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, from there, you know, um, uh, just thinking seeing you know seeing some of my close friends you know not here on this earth no more at a very young age and then also uh i think the event that really triggered me was when we were in the park we was out in the park one day we was out there shooting hoops and cash just got to shooting out there for no reason and i was like you know what i can't keep doing this this is not mm -hmm. going to work so uh yeah. that's when i took that transition that's when the transition started from there so mm. 
And so when you say, because again, obviously, those of us who can read between the, the lines, right? Those of us who grew up in the hood, um, grew up just above the poverty line, you know, whatever, however you want to call it, the ghetto, the projects, there's so many labels for it, right? Um, pretty much he was he was dealing in narcotics, okay? He was he was a street pharmacist, corner boy, woe, woe boy, whatever y'all want to call him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then those those things triggered you. And so how did you transition out? Because a lot of people don't make it out. Like I know people who attempted to get out and they got out all right. They got out either six feet under or in prison. Um, Tell us, you know, how did you get out of that? When you made that decision, that mental shift, I'm done with this. What was that like? What was the first steps for you? Of course, you know, um, I'll share with you folks that, you know, you get an opportunity probably this big. The opportunity may be this big. You can't even see it, but it's that one opportunity to remove yourself out that environment. And I went and talked to, uh, a very he's like a father to me still my mentor his name is alfred jj hollis uh still out there still doing dope stuff out there in the hood helping out kids and doing things like that but i remember going to sit on his porch and i sat there and said i said hey coach he, he coached me in pop warner i was an athlete and this is again this is when i really got serious you know all of us kids we're playing sports we're just playing but i got really serious when i went and had this conversation with him on his porch and i was i was in tears and i said you know i was like coach man i want to get out of here i can't keep doing this he was like, well, use your talent. I said, mm-hmm. what talent? I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. I don't know. And uh, he was like, your football talent. Use your football talent. And that's where I start that. I was like, you know what? I'm going to actually invest in it this time. So I started investing, actually hitting the weights, actually going to, um, you know, going to schools. I mean, this is way before Huddle and YouTube and all these things. This was where you had to actually go to the school to show mm-hmm. what you got. So, mm-hmm. Um, I did. I was doing those things and uh, actually going to the schools was an eye opener. I was like, oh, my God, I can I can live here. It's no it's no violence. I can mm-hmm. actually eat some food like some real food. I ain't got to be hungry. Wow. All day. Uh, wow. So that's when that transition started with him. And uh, he, he held me accountable. And uh, that's when I really got serious into school, obviously. So I can't obtain a scholarship. So um, I had to get my grades up. I was at, a, I think I was at about a 2.1 because I was just BSing in school, uh, you know, got my license at 16. I'm driving all the girls' cars. I didn't care. That's all it was about. I'm kicking it. So, you know, I got serious with that. And uh, um, that's when uh, I, I tell, you know, I'm going to share with you all, you know, um, like a, some secrets that I don't really tell. And I, it's like secrets that a lot of folks, uh, you know, don't tell behind the scenes. So, you know, most of us, you know, most of us from the Midwest, East Coast over there. So we took the ACT. So during this time, little people know when everybody looking at, oh, man, you're doing so great. I say, did you know I took the ACT three times? Mm. Three times just to get a 19 or above so I can receive a scholarship, at least be in competitiveness with others for a scholarship. So I took it three times. And um, mm. and uh, hope, thank God I... Uh, <laughs> I studied. I found a way to study. And again, it wasn't like, oh, I can go sit at the kitchen table at home and study. No, sometimes I had to go sit under the street light. Sometimes I had to sit in the car with the light from the car to sit and study some of that material. And mind you, most of us, you know, standardized tests is not created for us as uh, BIPOC. And folks, if you don't know what that means, uh, BIPOC over here on the West Coast is black, indigenous people of color. Minority is pretty much an outdated term that we don't use. So when you hear me say BIPOC, I mean black, indigenous people of color. So, um, yeah, so when you this the tests are not created for us, so you know you have to try to make ends meet. So 
Mm. Wow. And so your football career takes off. You get your scholarship. You're in college. Yeah, that was the eye opener right there, too, in college. So uh, when I uh, when I graduated high school, literally the next day I left, I left. I was like, I'm gone. My coach, he mm -hmm. told me, he said, hey, whenever you want to leave, you can leave. I said, hey, as soon as I graduate, I want to be going the next day. I don't mm -hmm. want to be getting shot at. I don't want to get involved in nothing. I just want to go. And that's what mm -hmm. I did. Left, went over to the state of Indiana to a small division two school. And that's when my my, you know, uh, life really kicked off. And. When I showed up to the to the dorm room, literally, I just had um, a Rubbermaid tub of clothes, a book bag, a couple pairs of gym shoes. I didn't have a pillow. I didn't have an alarm clock. I didn't have sheets, nothing. So I was all on my own. I've been on my own, for, again, since I was about 13. So, uh, you know, when I arrived there, I said, you know what? Time to get on the grind. Let me go find me a little job and so I can, you know, get everything I needed. And that's what I did. Got on the hustle, found me a little job. And, and uh, when I left, I didn't go back. I didn't go back. I, you know, if I did go visit, I had to. It's sad because you got to sneak in and then sneak out. You can't go in there like, hey, I'm home. No, now you're a target. So now you got to sneak in, see your folks, and take off. Damn. So. Let, let's pause right there because I want to talk about that. I want to talk about, you know, the toxic mentality that people have, right? We don't want to see each other. You know, we always refer to it as crabs in a barrel, but it really is just niggas being niggas. Okay, because there's a difference. No, 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 no. Oh, I'm sorry. On my show, we talk real. There's a difference between black folk and niggas. And I, I'm not, I'm not about to spend the time educating right now on that. But like you said, you can't even go home. And people that you grew up with in, in that, you know what I'm saying, in that tight knit community, you can't show them that you're doing better or that you're attempting to do better because somehow they internalize that as you think you're better than me. And so now. I got to mess with you. And so talk about that, like, you know, sneaking in and then getting out so that you're not a target. Like family members hate for people that you was cool with in high school and, and, you know what I'm saying, elementary school are hating. Like what was, again, I grew up in New York, so I know what that's like. But obviously Chicago being different in the Midwest, you know, one of the most violent, um, you know, cities, Chicago, and then the state of Illinois. So tell me about that. Talk to talk to us about, you know, what that was like for you, having to make sure you were careful getting in and out. Of course. Um, I'm going to use this, like, metaphor, this analogy. I say mask on, mask off. So when I go in, I have to peacock. And what I mean by peacock, I have to look to look. I have to talk to talk. I have to have the same lingo. So I have to put the mask on to be oh, that please. other guy to survive in that environment. Mm. So then while I'm in that environment, it's not just your friends or let me let me let me clear that up. People you once knew, people you once knew, because, you know, once you leave, once you go do things, some of these people, they I mean, they change. Uh, they turn into different people, unfortunately, for bad or worse or for good, whatever it may be. But you still mm -hmm. want to be aware because you're like, OK, yeah, we knew each other at 16, 17, but now we're 20, 21 and life's different. Right. So. In that time, you just have to be that person because mm -hmm. they're going to try you. Oh, they will try you. So mm -hmm. anytime, like from when I leave and I still do it today, I get to take the mask off when I get the O'Hare. I take the mask off like, yes, I can. Ooh, I made it out. You know, I can feel mm -hmm. good. But at the same time, you know, when you go home and see family and then, you know, you're not around family, you tend to get that little um, you start feeling a little emotional because you're like, oh, man, I miss my brothers. I miss my sister. I miss you know, my cousins and you like miss being around them. I don't have that. 
I'm like, yes. Oh. I'm home. <laughs> so wow. it's, I mean, it looks, it looks different. The flavor's different, especially now. Um, mm. It's not, you know, never shooting shots. It's just we are, we are on two different planes of life. Mm -hmm. so. Wow. That's crazy. So we've had a conversation and you've told me, you know, how education saved you, right? So back to you, you're in college, right? You're playing football. Um, and then you're exposed to, you know, academia. You're exposed to the life you could have based on education you know what was that what was that epiphany like for you and then what did it how did it transform your thinking and your pursuit at that point because i know you went to the nfl i know you went to the army we're gonna get to that i want you to share those experiences too but i love to hear you know that switch when you realize education could be your way out yeah so to be completely like open when i arrived at college i didn't know how to study period I didn't know how to study at all. So um, that was like the eye opener when I had to go. Uh, I, I, I never forget. I went to the library and there was like a group of like four or five white girls. I didn't know who they were, but I'm always hearing them talking. And I, I just slid over there with my books. I said, can you can I study with y'all folks? <laughs> and they like, yeah. So I sat down and as I'm listening to them, they're like talking about this. I mean, talking about study skills and writing skills. And I'm over here trying to like retain what I can. And I just came out openly to him. I said, look, I know y'all don't know me. Y'all probably know me because I'm an athlete on the, on the field. But I said, I don't know how to study. Can y'all help me? Mm. Like, you know, they were open and, uh, you know, giving me some some tricks and trades on how to study, you know, the highlighter little thing and, you know, taking notes on certain things. So like it helped me start learning how to learn, not just read and try to retain and just like hurry up and put it on the test. It's actually learn it. So through that process, you know, dealing with sports, not just dealing with sports, dealing with family, too. You know, you trying to get your family to show up to, you know, a game or two. They won't show up unless you got some money to give, you know, things like that. So uh, my eye opener to education was there when I'm like, hold on, wait a minute. And what I can do a lot with this degree. I can go change some stuff. I can change me. I can change my environment. So that's why, again, I pursued education in that room that's when i really got more serious like around my junior year believe it or not because freshman sophomore year i don't know where i was at i, I still don't know i can't right. find because i didn't you know <laughs> I, I was surviving that was it <laughs> wow but that's so like that's so key what you just said you had to learn how to learn mm -hmm. like that that's crazy especially for you to have graduated high school so it makes me wonder what the hell was happening in elementary, middle school, and high school if you hadn't really grasped, study, grasped studying, which means no one cared. No, They were just passing you forward. You were an athlete, bring the school money, win games, you know what I'm saying? Then go out in the world unprepared. And that's exactly what happens to our kids even now. But what's happening now is social media, and, you know, people like Matt Zuckerberg and, and, and uh, Elon Musk and all the rest of these billionaires who never finished school, the, you know, the education system, we're diminishing even more because it's like, oh, I don't need college. Um, and one of the things I wanted to definitely touch on tonight is the difference between education and institutionalization. They're, they're not the same thing. You know what I mean? We send our kids to school. We don't, I don't want them to be institutionalized. OK, but there is still life skills. 
and you know what I'm saying, and book smarts and different things. There's a different knowledge share that happens in that collegiate experience that we're robbing our children. Because again, now we're saying, oh, my baby could be a billionaire. She ain't got to go to school because all of these billionaires did it without school. Yeah, but they have white privilege. Your baby don't. Your child don't. So I really want to talk about, again, the significance of investing in education and why it was so important for you. And so you learned how to learn. Now you're doing well in your junior senior year. When did the NFL come in? It came in, oh man, the scouts rolled in. What was that? I think it was my junior year. My junior year is when they rolled in. Uh, uh, one of them I did know, Curtis Crosley. Still talk to him this day. Shout out to Curtis Crosley. Still doing dope things out there in the hood. Um, at that time, he was with the Vikings. And uh, that was the year I, like, broke all the school records at that time. That's when they kind of showed up. Uh, first 1,000-yard uh, rusher and first 1,000-yard receiver at the same time. Um, things like that. And they showed up and – that's when I got the invite to like three or four different types of combines. And um, you go and participate, obviously. It's not as it's not as like crazy as it is now, because how you see it now with all the uh, video cameras at this time, you know, there was there's several there's. And again, people only know about the big one that you see. But there's like other smaller ones that you go to where other people actually get the recognition, such as folks from HBCU schools where they don't mm. get that recognition, but they get into these combines. And they can uh, actually show what they got. And they, that's when they get the opportunity to get in there. So mm. during that time, um, I still didn't know what I was going to do. Like, I was like, great, this is my dream. Yes, I'm about to do this. But I'm over here like, am I actually going to graduate, though? My mm. GPA is not the best right now. Uh, so I had to. I really worked hard my senior year. Um, things fell through, obviously, if you're familiar with the uh, lockout in 2011 uh, things just fell through and you know uh, I had to find something else to do after that point which mm. was uh, I had a good friend of mine uh, uh, worked for the U.S. Marshal Service and he was like bro you know come through you know come over here with us you got the degree now this is now I'm like I'm learning I'm graduating he's like yeah you got the degree let's go you know what I'm saying don't waste your time with that and I'm like yeah let's go do it but how am I supposed to get in though? I don't got any work experience. Mm-hmm. I didn't go, I didn't go do the uh internships like most guys and gals did. That well, they didn't look like me, obviously. So me, my whole goal was like NFL. That's where I'm going. That's that's it. That's the money. Mm-hmm. But you know, didn't think through like, oh man, what can I fall forward on? Because I know we use the term fall back. I fall forward. What did I mm-hmm. can I fall forward on? That's good. And um he was like, you know what, man, go in the military. I was like, the military, what? All right, cool. You know, I got this. You know, I, if I got through college football, I got through a bachelor's degree, I could do anything. I'm bulletproof. I went into the, uh, and I uh, <laughs> I remember going in there, getting signed up, and I was like, yeah, all excited. Like, yeah, I'm going in the Army. This is about to be, this is about to be a piece of cake. And I showed up to Fort Benning, Georgia, and I said, what the hell did I just sign up <laughs> What this guy's in my face yelling at me, screaming. I'm like, bro, what are you all in my face for? So uh that was a wake-up call. Uh, and then actually uh, you know, the first night you're up a 50 hour straight, no sleep. <laughs> so that was an eye-opener uh going in there. So uh during that time, uh again, I came out of the college, my head was about this big, arrogant, cocky, you can't tell me nothing. And um 
after my first year, uh, well, yeah, actually, I, once I finished training, I got handed orders. <laughs> Here you go. Oh. You're going to the Middle East. Hold up. Wait a minute. I just got out of training. What y'all talking about? Oh, you're going to Iraq and Kuwait. You're going to Operation Enduring Freedom. Damn. Oh, wow. Wow. A nervous wreck. Do you understand how I feel when you got to write out like your emergency contact and you got to write out your will and you only... I was 23 at the time. I don't know how that feels, actually. No, no. A little yeah. weird. I ain't got anything, but you know, whatever happens to me, this was go who was going to was, yeah. you know. So uh, that was my uh, moment of like clarity in life, uh, as in, oh man, this is, this is real. Like life is real. And uh, once I got over there, spending that 11 months over there, I had to really reassess life. And what I mean by that. Is that I sat in and we had a bullet, we had these um mortarproof barracks. There was no windows, it was just straight uh concrete and steel. And uh I sat in there day in and day out. It's pitch black, so you don't know if it's sunny outside, it was you know, you're in the dark. But I re I really sat out and I said, What do I really want to do with my life? I don't want to be the traditional Negro going to work a nine to five. Um, I don't want to be like slaving over like a couple of dollars like i'm like because this is what i'm seeing in the military my paycheck ain't changing you know mm -hmm. i'm an enlisted soldier e4 don't know what i'm doing mm -hmm. and I'm like this paycheck is crap like what am i doing you know mm -hmm. and at that time i had to reassess of like my beliefs i had to reassess of even how to treat women mm -hmm. and i'm just being very transparent there like i was a, like i was like way out straight doing it whatever I want, didn't care about nobody's feelings, just only worried about mine. But it just had to reassess because this was serious. I'm like, man, one day I may not make it home. So at that time, I had to really, really realign what I was doing in my life. Mm. I said, I don't want to stay in here. What I'm going to do when I decide to leave this, this occupation, this, this service. So when I returned back here to Seattle, uh, I actually got orders and I went to Fort Carson, Colorado. And that's when I enrolled in my first master's. I was like, you know what? I want my master's. Now, mind you, I didn't have a high enough GPA to get into a graduate program. I had a two, five, six in my undergrad. So I had to really pull some strings and, and work it out. And then thank God my veteran status helped me get into a graduate program. And this is where I say I can actually show the world that I am not, I'm not average. Mm. I felt like I was average. I felt like I was just, you know, one of those regular cases of a BIPOC individual black man that's just like, hey, I got a degree, but yeah, I, can, I can't do a whole lot with it. So uh, mm. that's, that journey started there. So, so I want, so there's so much you said that I'm like, oh my God, like I want to revisit. So I do want to go to the comments in just a second. But you said something about not being average. And I think that's so important. And that's why I call this episode Average Beginnings but Legacy Endings because too often we accept that we're average. And to us, our average may be poor. Our average may be growing up in the projects because everybody around us looks the same. Everybody around us broke. So we average, you know what I'm saying? We don't, you don't realize that you're not the same as others until you see other people, right? And you don't even realize that you're exceptional until you make it out. Um, now your undergrad, what was your undergrad in? You didn't, it was you didn't a bachelor's in criminal justice. So your undergrad was in criminal justice. And then you were working on your master's when you got to Colorado. 
Yes. Okay, so pause there. I want to jump in the comments. Just see who in here. See if anybody got any questions. And then I'm going to come back because I want you to pick up from there. So, of course, a lot of my diamonds are in the room. Hello to everybody. Um, <laughs> LeVar Ben says facts plus tax. <laughs> Thank you for watching. We both seen that in Queens and TV Sheree. Absolutely. Definitely did. Appreciate you for being here. Hey, Tiffany, we see you. She says in the inner city, we're only taught to regurgitate what the teacher said, that part. Not interpret, analyze, and provide insight. That part, cousin, they don't want us learning nothing. They want us to literally download, repeat what we've heard. No learning, because learning requires thinking, critical thinking. And y'all notice they don't teach that no more, right? Yeah. So, all right, shout out to all my diamonds. I just wanted to acknowledge everybody in the room. Thank you so much for being here. So getting back to how education changed you, getting back to, you know, how education was the game changer for you. Some people would think, oh, the NFL would be his opportunity to make it out or, oh, the military would have took him out. And that was the case for a lot of people. Well, not a lot of people in the NFL, right? NFL is like, you know, being struck by lightning. But that is a lot of people's stories, right, that, you know, athlete, you know, being an athlete took them out of the hood or even the military. That was my ex-husband's story. My ex-husband got out of the hood, Southside Jamaica, Queens from his military career. But yours still was education. Um, so you're in your master's program. Now what? That's where, again, it took off. I mean, that's where I got, I had the opportunity at the platform finally to show that I am, I am way more than average. I'm way more than just, oh, I'm just one of them, just a usual, you know, black guy just trying to, you know, trying to assimilate to the white culture. So, wow, that's yeah. So, <laughs> wow. So I'm just saying that. Um, so from there, um, that's when I start planning my exit. I say, you know what? Got my, I got my math. I did my math, my first master's in a year. So I knocked that out in a year, and that's actually I actually finished it on my second deployment when I uh, was over in Europe. And when I came back, that's when I started my transition out. Uh, that's when I actually started applying for the the PhD programs, and I'm over here like. I'm not going to get in. I'm young. They're not going to take me in. I think at the time when I, when I first put my application, in, I was 26. So mm -hmm. I, I put that in and um, was hoping like, OK, you know, I maybe I can get in here. Maybe I got enough the GPA to get in. And um, and again, I did. I, I, I finished my master's with a three seven. And then I said, you know what? I got all this extra money sitting over here from the military. I can't I can't do nothing. But use it. Otherwise, it's going to go to waste. Right. So I, I did that. I put the uh, my application. I just took a risk. I tell folks, if you don't take a risk, you don't ever see the other side. Because some mm -hmm. people are scared to risk. Like uh, my son, like you say, one of the uh, uh, Miles Morales on the uh, Spider-Man movie. We I think we all, you know, if you got children, you got the uh, Spider-Man in a little cartoon movie. And um, like he always say, it's a leap of faith. So if you ain't willing to take that leap of faith, you won't ever figure out what you can and can't do or even see mm -hmm. what the other side is like. So I took a leap of faith. In that sense, I never, ever in my life thought about even getting a doctorate. I was just like, masters, I'm cool. I can go be a police officer somewhere and I can go and find somebody that liked me and marry me. And I can have a couple kids and I can just have a picket fence in the chocolate lab. No, it didn't work that way. Sounds good, but it don't work that way. Right. So, um, so from there, uh, I, I actually got in and that's my ETS intern service out of the military and uh, I dove really got into my 
the, uh, the, the concepts of understanding at the doctoral level. Now, I'm mm -hmm. telling you, folks, my first two classes, I'm talking about I was sweating because I was like, oh, I am not ready for this. As in the writing technique of writing, you know, diagnosing and analyzing these different, you know, from theories to quantitative, qualitative, different types of settings. It's like, what did I just walk myself into? Mm -hmm. But I can stand up and look in the mirror like, man, I'm my own competition. What am I doing? I got this. That part. That part. This. So uh, for what? About two, two and a half years, two and a half years, I was, I did all my classwork and uh, I will never, ever forget the night uh, when I, you know, I did, I wrote my dissertation. I wrote my dissertation in eight months. Uh, you can always go look it up at the relationship between victims of urban violence and post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, I'm the only one that wrote something like that. So you can definitely find that. Uh, and during that time when I, I had a nightmare, I said, I, I woke up in my nightmare. I checked my status with, uh, with my CAO, the chief academic officer, because they have to sign off on it for you to finish. Mm -hmm. and I woke up in my dream. I woke up and I checked it and it said, nope, declined. You didn't, you got to go back and fix all this. And I was just like, I took my computer and threw it. Then I woke up and I'm like, oh man, I was dreaming. So I actually got up this time. It was like zero five in the morning. I went and checked it and I had the green light. It was like, you pass. I mean, people, I collapsed in the floor. I cried for about 30 minutes because I was so happy mm -hmm. to be done. I was so happy to be done. Yeah. And my, I was 28 years old. Yeah, I had a newborn son. He was an infant, and I was taking care of him for eight months, feeding him while he was asleep, or while he woke up in the middle of the night and put him back to bed. And then I go back to typing. I used to type from nine o'clock at night till probably three in the morning. Then get up and go teach. At that time, I was an adjunct. Just I now go and teach when I had time. I take my little my little USB drive, stick it in the computer, and do a little bit more work while I was at work. So. Uh, it was a grind, people, and um, uh, and when I finished, I mean, I, I literally, like I said, I cried. And um, but to kind of add on a little bit to that, uh, folks, um, I was still in survival mode. And what wow. I mean by that is that I was like, what else can I do not to go back to the hood, not to be living in poverty? So to be honest with you, folks, I couldn't share my accomplishments sometimes i couldn't even i couldn't share it with my family as much because they didn't understand what like mm -hmm. oh graduate phd oh that's great everybody mm -hmm. else is like oh my god like bro that's um that's crazy like how did you do it everybody else was like oh okay like because they don't understand that concept they don't really right. know what it means right. so I, it's, it wasn't i never shared it so i stayed in survival mode mm -hmm. so i want you to make sense of that so oh. that, that pillar right there was like I have people around me here in my environment now that celebrate it, but folks back home, they just like, oh, okay, yeah, great. Because mm -hmm. they, they didn't know. They didn't mm -hmm. understand. Right. Because again, and I want to deal with mindset again for a moment, we don't value education in the same way. And and rightfully so. One, for, you know what I'm saying, for a long time, we couldn't be educated, right? And and so there's a lot of that, you know, that stigma and there's a lot of that, um, you know, that generational curses, as people say. I don't believe in generational curses, but anyway, it's another show. But I, I find it, you know, I find it frustrating that we don't celebrate 
education or careers that are born out of education as much as we do everything else. Um, and as an entrepreneur, I have nothing against entrepreneurship, but we are not all called to be entrepreneurs. And I am just so sick of how we're constantly pushing that on everybody. Be an entrepreneur, own your own business. You're not creative enough. You're not disciplined enough. You don't execute well. You're not administrative. Like, let's just keep it real. Some of us don't need to be entrepreneurs. I don't care how great your idea is. That's not your lane. But because that's all we're pushing, we're now creating another narrow view. At first we say, no, don't limit our people. Let's expand. We can own our own businesses. Yeah, but that's not going to be for everybody. So why not expose them to a path that can be created from education? I know for me, education saved my life. I, point blank period. I was not a teen statistic. I ain't had no babies before, you know what I'm saying? Marriage, and, and that's not the comfort nobody who did. But because I was so focused on education, I didn't care about anything else. I didn't care about dudes. I didn't care about partying. I didn't care about clubbing. I wanted to be more than everyone around me. And I knew education was that path. And so I wanted to do this show intentionally to show a black man like yourself, born and bred, in the inner city, coming out of Chicago, one of the worst cities. I think, what's worse than y'all? Flint, Michigan? No, St. Louis. You know what I'm saying? Like, what, what's worse than Chicago? St. Louis, um, Baltimore. That's what you got there. Right. But the fact that you've been able to um, acquire multiple degrees, and then now you're teaching, you're in education. So I want to talk a little bit about that. Like, tell us, you know, after you got your PhD, and again, congratulations, that's huge. Um, to achieve that at such a young age. But now that you have your PhD, you're now teaching, you're now working in education. Share with us a little bit about why that's important to you to now kind of keep, you know what I'm saying, keep that going, keep teaching. Oh, definitely. I mean, I've, I know, you know, a lot of teacher, So yeah, talk about that too. I always say we got a lot to give. I'm like, no, it ain't just something to give, it's representation. I'm gonna tell you now, I'm one of four black professors in my entire institution, okay? Black professors across the nation, we represent probably 5% or less in the classroom. So, you know, representation matters. So when you don't, when, you know, when my young black men, and I, this happens to me daily, when my students see me as a, my first day in class and I have black students, they always mm -hmm. come up and give me hugs. They always, some of them wow. even cry because they like, I finally have a black teacher because wow. they never had one. Yeah. So, Maybe out in the Atlanta area, maybe out in D.C., they actually get that opportunity. But out here on the West Coast, it's not as often. It's not often. So, I mean, the closest HBCU is probably, what, Langston over in Oklahoma? That's about it. So you don't get to see it. Um, but, you know, going through uh, this teaching thing, um, especially the tenure process, um, I dealt with a lot of barriers, um, especially being young and black and the only one with a Ph.D. in my entire, like, area. Uh, trust me, they were literally trying to throw me like to the wolves. Like mm -hmm. it was more punitive than actually a learning experience. So going wow. through the tenure process. So, you know, tenureship in academia is like the holy grail. Like every professor wants tenureship. Like <laughs> you can't strip me from it unless I do something that's just like straight, just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So, you know, obtaining that now it gives me the power to kind of move different dynamics and uh, in this in the system, such as my degree path, um, mm -hmm. and to share some more information with the with the audience, especially with the diamonds, the gems, and 
the gentleman in here. Look, listen, <laughs> I teach in criminal justice. OK, that's a lot of folks that's agree against it. Um, you know, I, I tell this day in and day out, you know, I love the energy of people out there with picketing signs and saying, hey, we need to do this. We got to do we need to do that. Let's change your perception on this. Instead of standing out there with a picket sign, how about getting into position to change it? So what I mean by that is, is where is our black chief of police? Where is our black judges? Where is our black, you know, wardens over correctional facilities to change these policies to make it equitable? You can't change that on the outside. Get more people into the, you know, into the political realm and, uh, you know, your state and federal level. That's how you start mm -hmm. changing. I get right. it that we have the right to assemble, but when you start getting these positions, you can start making change. Yes, it's right. not going to be easy, but then you got its representation. Now you're going to still have more people with you. So again, women is still dominating since the 1970s. Women have been dominating as in uh, more educated than men here in the United States. More women are enrolled in college than, than men are. Um, women has a huge disparity in law enforcement today. Women represent about 12% of law enforcement across the nation. Hmm. 12, it's a male dominated, uh, um, you know, career path. And that's why I try to bring in more women. And as in, um, when you call them the BIPOC, black indigenous people of color, we represent probably about 10 to 12% local police. That's, you know, city of Atlanta, city of, you know, DC or whatever. That's the local level. That's where all the representation as in people of color. They're not wow. at the, they're not at the county level. They're not at the state level or even federal. They're it's mm -hmm. local. Mm -hmm. uh, in our court system, women only represent about eight percent of lawyers. About eight percent, and out of that eight percent, about three percent is BIPOC, Black Indigenous people of color. So Damn. you see the representation in the, you know, and you see these dynamics. That's, again, a piece of me that drives me to continue being in education because there are students that literally don't have a home. They don't have a home at all, but their home is actually the institution. They get to go go to school. That's where they get their meals from. That's where they mm -hmm. get the love, the attention, the nurture, mm -hmm. not just the learning experience, but they get that safety. Mm -hmm. and, and I have had a, a, a whole lot of those types of students in, in the school. So uh, being a professor... Uh, I'm trying to reel in Queen Pen herself. Like, hey, we need you to represent in your field, whatever field that you are in. Go be an adjunct. Adjunct is part time. You still can work your full time job, but we lack representation in the classroom. Period. And I'm talking to people of color. Uh, so uh, that's what keeps driving me. I keep driving, you know, in a variety of different facets. I have two projects going on right now. I'm a, a research. And uh, and I'll share with you the, the, the names. Uh, one of them is uh, uh, I'm studying, doing a research project on toxic masculinity in the African-American community or black American community, better term. And then I'm doing one on racial profiling to show that it does exist. But the way I'm going to do it is going to be unique. And I don't want to dive mm -hmm. into it. But I'm, I'm so glad that you're saying that. And, you know, one of the things I definitely want to tell my gems and gents, I know they're used to these shows being so fun and lots of laughs and, you know, lots of, um, you know, trending topics. I'm sure somebody probably wanted me to talk about the whole, you know, divorce between some celebrities. This is important because, like you said, we lack representation. We don't have the education to compete for some of the jobs that will actually change the systems that are oppressing us. Guess what? You got to go to school to get in the door. 
Now, if you want to change that when you get in, cool, but you have to get in. And that's why I want to have guests like you and more panels, you know, more panel discussions like this, because I noticed that we will organize, um, you know, panels of, of discussion like this when something happens reactionary. But if we could get ahead of it, you know what I'm saying, and build these things ahead of tragedy, we could probably have greater influence. Um, right now, um, the the cast of A Different World are on tour. And, the, you know, they're going to all these different cities because they had such an impact on HBCU enrollment. That show really drove and spiked HBCU enrollment. We need more of that. We need someone that's going to say, no, education is dope. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, holding degrees is dope. You can actually make real change. I work in uh, tech. I work in corporate America. I've been here for 17 years. And people always say, why don't you leave and do full-time entrepreneurship? First of all, I don't want to. Let's just be real. I get tired of clients after a couple of weeks and I'm like, I'm glad I got a regular job. I love what I do, but sometimes I don't want to do it all the time. But the reason I love working in tech is I get to make sure that BIPOC candidates are not only seen and hired, but they're promoted, that they're trained, that they're on the leadership track. If we're not in these institutions to actually have influence in that space, then you have to shut up. You can't complain that, oh, people like me never get a chance. Well, guess what? There are no people like you inside to make sure that you get a chance. This is why we have to go to school. It's not, again, it's not about being institutionalized. It's not about learning, you know, how to play in the system. It's learning how to get in so that you can change it. Barack couldn't do it by himself. I know we love to lean on our few black leaders. They're not enough. We need more. We need more people working in HR. We need more people working in the courthouse. We need more people working in the justice system. And unfortunately, the world we live in, you have to have an education to do that. I remember when I was in undergrad, this was in the gym. I was an undergrad, okay, all those years ago. And my, um, my academic advisor said by 2024, which is in two years, well, a little less than two years now, having a master's degree will be equivalent to a high school diploma. This is literally what he said to me all those years ago that a master's degree, MBA, MS, whatever you have, will be equivalent to a high, a high school diploma by 2024. So we have to go to school to compete, to get these jobs that are going to help change our lives and those behind us, that are going to help our children and that are help our children's children. So that's all I wanted to say about that, because I'm, I'm really passionate about respecting education. And we see a lot of teachers you know, at the adolescent level, right? In, in elementary school and middle school and in high school, we do have more representation. But I'm talking about us getting at the collegiate level. Like, let's get into these bigger institutions where there's greater influence because literally, like you and me, people are making life decisions. What am I going to do now? What am I going to do? What's my future going to look like? And they need to see folks like us in there to say, have you considered this career path? Have you thought about that? So last thing I want to do while we have just a few minutes left, um, I would love for you to talk about like, you know, the perseverance journey. I know you, you do a lot of speaking all around the country. 
Um, you are a well sought after speaker. And I love that you really don't post a lot of it on social media because you're in the moment. Like you're more focused on actually influencing those in the room than showing, hey, look at me, I'm a speaker on social media. So shout out to you for that. Because I was trying to find like videos to post to promote this episode. And I'm like, bruh, I know he speaks at places and I have nothing. So, um, but talk to us about, you know, your patience with the journey all the way to your PhD and that perseverance, what that was like. And just some tips to give people who may be frustrated. My cousin Tiffany, who's on in the comments, um, she just earned her bachelor's degree and she's been working on it for a while. And so shout out to you, cuz again, for achieving that. Cause it couldn't have been, I mean, she raised a family, she raised children and grandchildren and yet never gave up on acquiring that degree. And so I'm so proud of you. But um, give some advice for those who may be thinking about returning to school, nervous about it, you know, hesitant. Of course, um, it's not uh, it's not going to be easy. Uh, I, I want to just be straightforward with you and just be honest. It's not going to be easy because now, remember, you may have been an undergrad 10 years ago, but the, the dynamics of as in study skills, as in curriculum, as in design is totally different now. So you got to be able to adjust and overcome. Yeah. Um, I, I, I shout out to your cousin on that. Um, I mean, look at ET Eric Thomas. It took him 12 years to get a four year degree. Dress what he ain't even tripping no more. Now he has a PhD. So I tell everyone that your journey is not like mine. My journey, I had some, I had some doors open in the sense of taking opportunities, doing things. Some folks did go straight into the workforce. Workforce changed. Now they decided to go back to school. Some people had children. Some people got married. Some people. Whatever the case may be, there's no time limit on it. You can go obtain whatever it is that you want and don't let nobody else tell you you can't. You got to look at yourself in the mirror and say, you know what, man, I can do whatever it is that I want to put my mind to. So that is one thing that I continue to do every single day as I continue on my journey of education. Um, and I just want to I'm going to continue down that path. I just got to throw this little peel out there to my audience out here. One problem that we're having in our community is that we take the easy careers. Stop chasing the easy careers while our international populations, our African folks from Africa that get a chance to come here, they get the hard ones. Medical doctors, engineers, you know, they're going to do all this creating things in tech. Stop sending our kids to do this easy stuff. Oh, well, I was a CNA for 10 years. You can go, no, go be a doctor. No, go be, you know, Go, go be over to the next person that builds a, another huge tower building. Like, I don't know. But, like, mm -hmm. stop taking easy routes. That's the problem in our community. We go for the easy yeah. job. So, um, but yeah. one thing, uh, I just want to leave this with you folks. In the, and I literally love the fact I got opportunity to be here with you all. Um, something I speak to myself every single day is that um, winning, 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 W's. Winning changes everything. And what I mean by that, winning changes the way you walk. It changes the way you talk. It changes the, it changes your circle of influence, who people you're around. If you're around people who's like, and you're probably in the audience right now saying like, you know what, I'm thinking about going ahead and get my master's. And, and you you go tell some of your, you think your friends, you're like, yeah, I'm thinking about going back to school, do my master's. And they do some, oh man, that, that sounds crazy. I wouldn't do that. You need to go ahead and get rid of them already because they already doubt you. Get them out your circle because they're going to do nothing but drown you with negativity. So that part. that's one thing I keep. I will leave with you all is just learn how to win. Whatever that looks like for you, win. Win changes everything. 
It changed me. It changed the way I talk. It changed the way I walk. It changes my it changed my image. What I mean by that, as in I can be, you know, I look at some people my age, and again, I'm I'm 33. Some of the people my age that I grew up with look 50. They look bad. Um, but uh-huh. I got around people who has the same formula, or they up the mountain a little bit higher than me, and I'm right behind them. Like, hey, keep on dropping those those pieces, those gems, those small diamonds, because it's gonna keep me going forward it's going to keep me okay i'm not going to go up the route you did i'm going to go ahead and detour this way and go back up now because my route is a little different than yours so mm-hmm. uh if you can keep that in your back pocket winning i promise you success will be right there at your front door knocking that's so good and i love that you said keeping the right people around you because sometimes we feel obligated to stay connected to people that we grew up with or that was there for us during a tragedy or that was there for no no you have to you have to let go. And, it's, and again, it's not nasty or mean, but you cannot hold on to people if they're not willing to grow with you because they will choke you. They will choke the life out of you and then you'll be stagnant. One of the things my mentor told me earlier this week in our one on one, she said paralyzed growth is killing people quicker than cancer because anything that doesn't grow is dead. And so if you are literally not growing, whether that's mentally, spiritually, energetically, socially, whatever, you are literally killing those parts of you. And you might as well just amputate that part of your life right on off because there is it's going to be harder to revive it than it is to just grow it. And so when you, when you feel something or see something that's coming to snatch the life away, you need to let them go. Let those things go. Those habits go. Those people go. Those places go. Um, even with this, you know, people try to always tell me how I should do my show and how I should run my platform because I need to do what's trending and I need to do what people want to see. I don't care what people want to see. I'm doing what I think people need. You get what I'm saying? Like, I don't care. Me taking 50 million selfies and women who do this all the time, in the that's not me. Can I help somebody? Is somebody going to watch this and be like, you know what? I do want to go back to school. I do feel that my education is important. I did give up on myself four years ago, eight years ago, however long ago. Go, you know what I'm saying? Go get the goals or go back for the goals that you left when you thought you couldn't. And so that's what I really love about your story. Me and you, we talk all the time. And so I'm constantly getting gems from you and constantly getting inspiration. And one of the things I learned um, in being a leader, you have to be willing to learn from everybody, right? And I posted this a couple of weeks ago about having um, your own board. You know what I'm saying? Your own board of directors, your own board, that people who guide you and help you. And if you're not open to younger folks or different folks, teaching and, and you know what I'm saying, coaching and mentoring and grooming you, then you ain't ready for success. You're not ready for life. We keep on selling this. Oh, everybody could be wealthy if you get in real estate and everybody can be wealthy if you get in life insurance. There are so many other paths to wealth that many of us don't even know because we are boxed in mentally. They, they give you just enough. Why is there a swell in real estate? Because that's all they're willing to let us get, you know, have access to. Why is there only a small amount of us now in life insurance, banking industry, mortgage industry? That stuff's been around for, for centuries, decades. Why are we only just now all of a sudden making it popular? Because you're just now being able to be exposed to it. There is telecommunications. There's vertical real estate. There are so many different avenues that I learned being in college, being around you know, my white counterparts whose parents were in these industries that I never even heard of as revenue streams. So there's so much more that you get from college than just, you know, the academic career. You get social 
you know what I'm saying, awareness. You get a network. You get so many different things from attending college. And so, again, thank you so much for doing this show. I so appreciate you. I know you busy. I know you busy. You are always speaking somewhere. So I really appreciate you coming in and blessing us with your story. Um, again, thank you for your service um, to this country. Thank you, obviously, for being an inspiration. You inspire me. I am constantly, you know what I'm saying, drawing from you, pulling from you, learning from you. And I really, really appreciate it. Um, any final gems before I let you go? Anything you want to share? One more gem for the for the listeners. Hey, uh, like I told you in the, earlier, don't fall back, fall forward. So you can see at least what you're falling into. Don't have a backup plan. Have a forward plan. So mm. just stick with that and you'll be good to go. Uh, that's something, again, I continue to uh, drop off to my young my youngsters. Um, I get a blessing to get to go talk to another prison. So I hopefully I can influence some young men to get out of incarceration and do some great things. So, again, I really appreciate being on this platform, being here with the Queen Pen and her whole her whole uh, following and the network. So um, you can definitely find me. Um, I know you're going to view I'm on Instagram. Um, I am underscore Dr. Banks. You can always find me on there. Um, I always can ask questions. Um, I definitely start putting out a little bit more information on, you know, from research. I definitely have youngsters around here. They come and help me with research. I pay them to like teach them so they can become published authors while in high school. So, you know, I'm always trying to do something great for the community to change the dynamics of education. Let them know like, hey, it's not it's OK to be a nerd. <laughs> It's, it's listen, okay? <laughs> Nerds are winning, okay? Absolutely. Well, thank you again. It's been a pleasure. I enjoyed this conversation. I really hope that folks can get past, um, you know what I'm saying, the fact that it's not the glitz and glam and a, and a, a big old, you know, uh, trending topic, but it is a necessary one. And so I'm going to send you backstage. I'm going to have my final words with, um, with the gems and gents, and then I will catch you shortly. Thanks again. All right, folks, look, I know that, you know, there's so many other topics that I could have talked about tonight, but I had this on the books for a while because it's so important to me. Education saved my life. It changed the trajectory of my life. And I want to be able to do that for others, not just my children and those that I mentor, but anyone um, that I come into contact with. I'm constantly talking about the significance and the importance of education and what you can get out of it, how you can benefit from it and the paths and the doors that it can open for you. So I really hope that, you know, you were inspired by his story. It doesn't matter where you started. It does not matter where you start. You can have average or humble beginnings and still have legacy endings. Um, as he said, he is, you know, a PhD tenured professor at the age of 33. That is unheard of, especially to be a Black man in this country. And so if he could do it with his upbringing and all that he lacked in childhood, you can do it too. So I just wanted to make sure that I left you with some inspiration. Y'all know I'm on this mega um, growth journey. And so again, revisiting the things that have helped my significance and that have helped me grow, education was a big part of that. So as always, continue to support the brand, continue to come back here for new episodes. Next week, I'll be talking with Shamit Cook. He is a playwright, author, all the things in the literary space, um, really making an impact for Black writers and Black creatives. So make sure y'all tune in next week. He's going to be dropping a lot of gems on how you can get your stories published, how you can get um, your play, your plays, your screen, right? Anything that you want to do in that space, he's going to be talking about that. So make sure that y'all join me next week, this place, eight o'clock. Until then, 
hustle and shine. Bye.